Hey y'all, and welcome back to Root Cause Radio. Hi, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are y'all? I'm Crickets. great. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I know we don't get responses from from you guys, the listeners, but we hope you guys are having a great week. We're excited about this topic. Yes, Anya, what are we talking about today? So we're diving back into gut health, but getting more into the nitty gritty of two very common conditions that we see and work with, which are SIBO and candida. Oh, you know, the joy. Is it SIBO? Is it candida? Is it overall dysbiosis? What is it? I know that's the game and the question everybody is asking whenever they struggle with gut issues. So we're going to answer that today, you guys. What is SIBO? What is candida? What are the symptoms? How can you differentiate Yeah, because there are a lot of commonalities between the presentation of the two, but the intervention actually is is pretty different. They respond Mm -hmm. to quite different herbs and and other sort of, you know, antibiotics or antifungals or, you know, whichever route you decide to go on. So it's really important to identify it. And also they can be hard to get diagnosed properly through testing. So it's really important that you're not only relying on testing, but you're also looking at the presentation to make a final conclusion. Yes, exactly. And I've dealt with both of these. So I know how you guys are feeling. I know the differences myself too. And I think that's also um, important too, is like understanding where your quote unquote normal is with your symptoms versus when you have a gut infection. So we're going to start with SIBO. Uh, What is SIBO? Essentially small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Very easy to say that is overgrowth in your small intestine. Now keep in mind, there can be LIBO, large intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or both. But overall, if we're talking about what a SIBO, it is an overgrowth of bad gut bugs or even good gut bugs in your small intestine. Now, Anya, what is candida? So candida is also an overgrowth, but it's not necessarily bacteria. It's a type of fungus. It's yeast. Um, And this can be in the small intestine, but it also can be in the large intestine. Um, and you know, it also can be in other parts of the body. So there are, you know, small amounts of candida found throughout the body and that isn't necessarily cause for concern. It's really only when it becomes overgrown and that can also happen, you know, in the skin, um, or other mucosal membranes, also the oral cavity or your mouth can harbor candida as well and be a big site for candida overgrowth. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'll dive into the symptoms of SIBO and then Anya will rock and roll us into the symptoms of candida. Now, typically with SIBO, and this can be different because there's three different types of SIBO, y'all. We have um, hydrogen sulfide SIBO. We have hydrogen SIBO. We have methane SIBO. So hydrogen, I want you guys to think typically that's more of a diarrhea presentation. Methane's typically constipation or constipation and diarrhea presentation. And then sulfur can be all the above, um, which is very confusing. So Lots of difference based on the gases, but overall with SIBO, I see bloating, especially bloating without eating at all, morning bloating. We see diarrhea or constipation, abdominal pain, histamine issues, so that might include stuffy nose, sinus congestion, um, bags under your eyes, chronic fatigue, nutrient malabsorption. So I see a lot of deficiencies in you know all your B vitamins, especially B12, low zinc, um, sometimes even low vitamin D, low iron, low vitamin C. And um, those are the, t- be the top things that I see. Um, also with SIBO, you can have 
Um, loss of muscle mass and you can have irritability. So sometimes that's, you know, moodiness, anger, irritability. Sometimes that's also OCD behaviors, ADHD, ADD type of behaviors, um, and anxiety and depression. So those would be the things I see with SIBO. Anya, did I miss anything? Well, first of all, that sounds really fun. Um, <laughs> as you guys <laughs> yeah, can everybody tell, wants SIBO. <laughs> I know SIBO is awful. Um, I'd say, I'd say just a few things I'd add is, you know, while hydrogen and methane dominant SIBO are maybe the most common, or at least the most commonly diagnosed, hydrogen sulfide uh, dominant SIBO is very interesting, especially because the symptoms associated with that can be kind of seemingly random. Um, something that I've seen a lot with my sulfide clients um, are, are unexplained bladder pain, um, which I think is really interesting, or other sort of like 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 different pains, um, like a lot of like tension headaches as well, joint pain. I know you mentioned that one, but the bladder pain is, is really huge. So just aside, like kind of a pearl, if you have bladder pain, you can't figure out why I would definitely consider testing for sulfide dominant sebum. Yeah, this is a good point. The interstitial cystitis that can definitely occur. And mm -hmm. sometimes there's even you know, tingling and numbness, body pain. Sometimes there's mm -hmm. even like that sulfur producing gas, but not always. And light sensitivity with that sulfur dominant SIBO as well. The key thing with SIBO, you guys is, and we'll go over this too, when it comes down to testing is just because testing, it does present to say, Hey, you do have SIBO or Hey, you do not have SIBO. Testing is very, very limited, especially based on the testing that you do, if it's lactulose or glucose solution. So the most important thing to keep in mind is your symptoms are what matter. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, for something like sulfide SIBO, there are ways that you can kind of like, um, do a little bit of trial and error, uh, to figure out if it's sulfide SIBO, like going on a low sulfur diet or adding in like, you know, um, anti-sulfur agents as well can, can help you kind of just like figure out oh, just another piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you touched upon the major, most common symptoms of SIBO, which are a lot. And a lot of those also are really, um, really similar to candida as well. Which dive us into candida. Symptoms yeah, of candida. So so, you know, candida can have digestive or, you know, symptoms that are extraintestinal, just like SIBO. Um, digestive issues similar, see a lot of, um, a lot of bloating, can see both diarrhea or constipation or sometimes just like frequent loose stools and so not necessarily diarrhea, but still, you know, off. Um, you know, same thing, the skin issues, like the rashes, histamine, see a lot of acne or other, of course, any sort of fungal skin infections as well. Um, are huge with candida. Um, same deal, you could see some unexplained weight loss or weight gain. You could see brain fog is really huge. Um, you know, a lot of difficulty concentrating, concentrating or poor cognition. Um, and that kind of goes hand in hand also with that, that feeling of fatigue. Um, see a lot of vaginal issues, especially yeast infections, mm -hmm. um, frequent yeast infections, and that could be with or without UTIs as well. Sometimes there is kind of like this vicious cycle that happens there. Um, also, you know, what I think is interesting with candida is a lot of people report feeling tipsy, even though they haven't drank alcohol, which, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that happens, but also just in general, like alcohol sensitivity if you notice that having wine or especially beer like makes you feel like absolute crap for not only a day, but maybe a few days after, that's a huge sign of, of candida overgrowth. Um, let's see. I would also add that like 
really bad sinus issues or allergies, especially like if you normally have allergies and you notice that they've gotten significantly worse or you're developing new allergies and you can't figure out why it's worth looking into candida as well. And one more thing too, that I can't believe I forgot. This is probably the number one most common um, sign or symptom with candida is our, our food cravings, especially for those high sugar, um, you know, refined carbohydrate rich foods. Mm -hmm. Yes. Fantastic. You hit the nail on the head for a lot of these. Um, and you mentioned the oral thrush, so that can occur. Uh, however, like Anya said, um, with candida, you can have sometimes in different bodily locations. So sometimes you can have overgrowth specifically only in your mouth, sometimes in your esophagus only. And then other times it can be just on your skin or just in your vagina or just in your gut, but sometimes it can be systemic as well. So really depends on what the case is and the presentation of the candida. Um, and then we can of course have trouble losing weight with either. I forgot to totally mention that sometimes. And for the most part, I see actually weight gain occur with candida and weight loss occur with SIBO, but it is not always the same. So sometimes you can have weight loss or weight gain with either of them, just, just depending on how you are absorbing your nutrients and absorbing your calories. Yeah. Usually, um, with hydrogen dominant SIBO, we see that weight loss and mm -hmm. with methane dominant SIBO, often we see weight gain actually, you know, those intestinal methanogens, um, impact the way impact your metabolism and the way that you extract nutrients from food. So if you're having like unexplained weight gain alongside all these other symptoms, and especially that constipation aspect is very likely you have, you know, IMO or intestinal methogenic um, overgrowth. So the key thing is we listed out all these symptoms. There are key symptoms that I like to question when I'm questioning, okay, is somebody dealing with SIBO or candida? Anya, what are the top ones that you help when you look at when it comes down to differentiation? Yeah. So like you mentioned, that bloating aspect, I think is really, really huge, especially like waking up bloated for me is, is a really big sign, especially bloating that's paired with a lot of abdominal distension. To me, that is a huge red flag that SIBO needs to be explored further and, and likely is an issue. Um, whereas with candida, like I kind of mentioned that those sugar our high refined carbohydrate cravings are really, really big. The brain fog and the alcohol intolerance, I find are like those three really telltale signs that candida could be an issue. Yeah, the food cravings are a huge giver for candida being an issue. And then two, if somebody says, okay, when I have a higher carb diet, like I eat more carbs during my day, I feel worse. My digestion's worse. If they're like eating simple carbs, like rice and potatoes, um, sometimes even like just plain white breads, that's going to potentially piss off candida versus with SIBO. If you're just having straight non-fermentable carbohydrates and having gut issues, it's not really common um, because with SIBO, it's more about the fermentation in your small intestine. So that's one thing that I look at. And with candida, even though you can find skin issues with uh, SIBO, I see a lot of the eczema presentations and the acne presentations with candida versus SIBO. And then one more thing with the candida, I see a lot more of a brain fog, poor mental clarity situation because it just creates those aldehydes and that causes, you know, that gut brain connection impacting your cognition, quote unquote, leaky brain. So that definitely would be the differentiation that I see with symptoms there. Yeah. And I think, you know, you just brought up something there that's, it's kind of like the food, the, neg the adverse food reactions between SIBO and candida are almost opposite. 
SIBO patients tend to feel worse or have their digestive symptoms be worse when they're eating, you know, a lot of FODMAP rich foods. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, while we don't recommend low FODMAP diets, especially long term, you know, maybe in short situations, it could be used temporarily for relief. If you notice that like being on a low FODMAP diet or it, it makes you feel better and or you notice that eating high FODMAP foods make you feel worse, that could be a good sign that SIBO is more of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost counterintuitive that sometimes SIBO patients, they feel best eating you know, less vegetables or less of those fiber rich foods. Um, and that's because that bacteria is just going to have less fiber to, to ferment in the intestine. Exactly. And a lot of, I, I like to do this little fun trick and trial sometimes for people. Sometimes it's like, ah, I don't want to do that to you. But if you think that the candida is an issue, one, you can try having a lot of sugar all at once. So sometimes I call it the sugar test, going out, have a high sugar item, maybe a fruit bar, uh, maybe an ice cream if you can tolerate dairy, but high sugar test, or I do a fermented test. So if we do a lot of kombucha or a fermented food like sauerkraut or kimchi, if you have big issues with that, then it might be an over overproduction of yeast in your gut with candida. Yeah, which I feel like a lot of people are like kind of, shocked when I say that or when I mention that because they're like wait I thought that like my kombucha is good for my gut um and I'm like well (laughs) you know it's not always that black and white and especially something like kombucha like yes it's fermented but it also has a very high sugar concentration oftentimes without it with even added sugar so just something to keep in mind that you know I always joke I'm like kombucha like is like the biggest myth in terms of gut health because it almost always I find make make people's symptoms worse, especially candida. I know. And the serving size of a kombucha is not a bottle, you guys. It's like a fourth of a bottle. Mm. (laughs) So if you're doing kombucha and you can handle it and you don't have candida, cool, have it. But like, don't drink too much (laughs) because it's going to make you gassy and bloated. Totally. Yeah. So testing. As we know, both testing for SIBO and candida can be very limited. Typically, um, with SIBO testing, it's a lactulose mandatory breath test. I like to do lactulose. So I like the Genova three hour test. Now, if we're looking at like, what is the test interpretation? It really depends on the practitioner who does that as well as like the symptoms that are occurring. For example, some practitioners, they say a rise of hydrogen, like 20 PPM, that would be from baseline. That's a diagnosis of hydrogen dominant SIBO. Other practitioners say methane, a rise of 10 is after baseline is methane dominant SIBO. But, you know, then if I'm looking at the presentation of somebody's symptoms, I might say it's methane dominant SIBO if it's a rise of 5 ppm of baseline. So it really just depends on what the clinician says based on your lab test and your symptoms. But also keep in mind there can be false positives and false negatives when it comes down to SIBO-based testing because you could potentially do the test wrong. You could have something that could have impacted like your diet. You might not have followed the correct diet. And then, of course, the substrate, sometimes you can have alterations and like say that the it looks like it's negative on SIBO but you see a little bit rise later at the end of the test that could say that, yeah, it might be negative for SIBO, but you might be positive for large intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So there could be a kind of like combination of things that can impact the test interpretation. Yeah, especially because a lot of SIBO patients also have impaired or slow motility. And so that can cause that rise like to not really happen in the, you know, expected amount of time. So if you see it happen later, Sometimes that could be a reason why, you know, SIBO, that diagnosis could be missed as well. 
And then, you know, a huge, a huge thing to keep in mind is the test prep that goes into, into SIBO diet. So, you know, and that goes like, you know, up to four weeks before there's several medications that you need to stop taking. You can't be on anything that has a laxative or effects. Um, you know, you have to stop any sort of probiotics. And then, you know, within those 24 hours of taking the test, you have to be on a very, very strict test prep diet where you're having absolutely zero fermentable carbohydrates. So we're thinking like white rice, like plain like baked chicken breast and like broth it's not fun but if you have to be strict about that otherwise the results are invalid yeah and i would really make sure if your doctor or anybody that orders fruit testing for you i would not do a glucose test because if you do a glucose test you can end up with false negatives because that SIBO might actually be in that later portion that distal portion of your small intestine leading to a false negative so i would always try and say lactulose if at all possible yeah. And, you know, just we, the most common question I get, and I'm sure you get this too with regards to SIBO testing is what about the GI map or a stool test? Can we diagnose SIBO from that? Lacey, what are, what, what do you say when people ask you that? I say no, it is a stool-based test. We're looking at lar the large intestine for the most part. However, there are some bacteria that do correlate with SIBO. I have seen GI maps look okay, almost pretty clean, and somebody have a heavy case of SIBO in which the overgrowth is simply concentrated in the small intestine, large intestine overall looks good. Uh, so I would say interpret the GI test like you're looking at a combination of the small and large intestine, but do not use it as a definitive marker of potential SIBO. Absolutely. Um, but I'd say that even if you are going ahead with SIBO testing, I still like to also do the GI map because having, you know, co-infections or having other dysfunction in the large intestine, you know, it needs to be addressed in order to make sure that your treatment is successful and that you don't relapse. So just because the GI map is not necessarily diagnostic of SIBO doesn't mean that there isn't a benefit to doing it um, alongside everything else when you are dealing with SIBO. Right. And then also keep in mind, you can or you cannot have a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And then in combination, you might have a large intestinal bacteria overgrowth or you might not. So if you if your doctor throws you like rifaximin that's selective to the small intestine and you think it's SIBO, well, it might actually work on your SIBO if it's maybe just, you know, hydrogen dominant, but it's not going to touch your large intestine bacteria overgrowth that you might have. So it's very important mm -hmm. to keep in mind. Absolutely. Yeah, that's such a good point. Now, what do we do about candida testing? Because you and I know <laughs> it's limited. Yeah. So again, I mean, we, this is a good situation for, for stool testing, but it's not perfect. Uh, I believe we might, have, we might have mentioned this in a previous podcast, but mainly that's because candida love to hide in biofilm, which is the sticky substance that lines our entire gut lining. And, you know, that really prevents it from being properly detected on a stool test. So, you know, sometimes it is detected and that's great. Sometimes it's not. Um, other good ways to test would be something like an organic acids test that looks at different fungal markers can be a good test, um, to help diagnose candida as well. Um, Lacey, what are your favorite ways to, to identify it? I like to use the GI map. Um, I also do sometimes use antibodies in the blood, um, mm -hmm. when we're looking at the potential for candida, but unfortunately I do see 
the GM app miss Candida time and time again with yeast because it can lie and live in that biofilm. So I like to go based off of the stool test, if at all possible, in combination with symptoms. If somebody has a lot like a reaction to yeast containing foods, kombucha, they have the brain fog, they have the weight gain, they have all those manifestations, typically I'll treat according to their symptoms, even if their GI map or their GeoNova effects or whatever GI test that they're doing says it's negative. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think too, that like, you know, it's candida, some of those symptoms are so tell, telltale that, mm-hmm. you know, while, while we love testing, I still think that you should test if we're testing, we're not really getting good answers and all, everything is pointing to candida. That's kind of a situation where that clinical experience and that like, you know, really deep questioning has its own value. So that is kind of how I approach it as well. Yeah, I agree. Now let's talk about the potential causes of both SIBO and candida. Um, I mean, there's definitely differences between the two. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, in terms of common causes, because there are a lot of common ones, let's go through that first and then we can, can do the differentiating ones. So the number one thing that I'd come in, that I'd say is stress chronic stress, um, which is not the most, you know, fun answer to say, but that easily can cause SIBO or candida. Um, You know, other things that come to mind are any sort of like poor or impaired immune response, Um, you know, especially like in the gut, something like low secretory IgA um, can contribute to both, both of those conditions. Low stomach acid or hypochloridia is huge. Um, That's because, you know, stomach acid is, is helpful for killing or acting as a barrier of defense against pathogens. So when that is low, then we could see SIBO or candida arise. And usually that is also low as a result of stress. So, you know, as you can see, the two go hand in hand. Um, I'd also say any sort of like chronic um, antibiotic usage or, or other medications too, like even things like birth control um, or painkillers all can also contribute to both SIBO or candida. Mm-hmm birth controls, narcotics, PPIs, sometimes mm-hmm. even um, antidepressants, that'll do it too. And all those are great because they can be causes of both SIBO or candida. So I'm so glad that you mentioned those. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really huge. And, but again, you know, just because you're on birth control doesn't mean you have SIBO or candida, just something to keep in mind that you might be at higher risk. Yes. And if we're talking about the development simply of SIBO, oh my God, there's a laundry list. And if you guys have not listened to my SIBO podcast that I've already made, it's definitely good. It talks about treatment, causes, you name it. But the first thing I question when it comes down to SIBO development Question, food poisoning. Because when you have food poisoning, you can develop what's called anti-viculin antibodies. And that essentially can damage your migrating motor complex, which basically is helpful for moving food through your intestines between your meals, kind of acts like as, as a cleaner and sweeper between your meals. And it also can shunt the peristalsis of your intestines, which basically means you can have sluggish motility or issues with kind of like controlling that motility, which can go down the route of constipation or diarrhea. So food poisoning can be a big risk factor. Structural adhesions can be an issue and that can come from like any surgeries that you had. Um, or sometimes there can be even like things that happen or pseudo instruction, uh, obstructions that can happen. I see a lot of obstructions when people have like, um, 
PCOS, so you have cystic ovaries, or maybe you have endometriosis or diverticulosis. So sometimes, sometimes those can randomly occur. Motility issues coming from the antibiotics, coming from the food poisoning, the NSAIDs, the narcotics, um, sometimes even H2 antagonists. So we're talking about um, antihistamines can happen. And then, of course, motility issues can also happen with stress, lack of fiber, um, and then, unfortunately, if we're talking about both SIBO and candida, there also can be a huge component with untreated celiac or Crohn's disease or diabetes because there can be kind of like some damage that can occur too to the motility in your gut that increases your risk. And then, of course, we have any potential, not just food poisoning, but any bacteria overgrowth. If that is not killed off, say you have a lack of digestive enzymes, you have a lack of bile, that can allow those bacteria in your small intestine to overferment and overgrow. So that's something to keep in mind. And with low stomach acids like Anya mentioned, too, that is a recipe of disaster for allowing for SIBO and candida to overgrow because you can't properly break down your proteins. And then you have those proteobacteria over fermenting in your small and large intestine. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, just to add to some of those things that you said, because those were all like the key points that I would say in terms of, you know, SIBO specific causes, um, in terms of like you know, adhesions, another really, really common um, source of, of these that I see lead to SIBO are C-sections, mm -hmm. um, tend to cause this a lot, or any other sort of like abdominal surgery really puts you at high risk. Um, in terms of impaired motility, hypothyroidism is huge here. Um, again, that slows down the way that, or the speed at which food is moving through your intestine can lead to, you know, bacterial overgrowth without a doubt. Um, now in terms of food poisoning, because this is absolutely a major risk factor or majorly common cause for SIBO, I know a lot of people hear this and they freak out because they're like, oh my God, like I've gotten food poisoning. Does that mean I'm going to get SIBO? What can I do? So, so how would you counsel a patient who had food poisoning to help prevent them from developing SIBO? The first thing that like, I try and do is support the immune system to help prevent any damage to the gut. So that can include for some people using things like Saccharomyces boulardii, um, glutamine, some cholesterol. Sometimes that's using beta-glucans or reishi mushroom, things that really support and address the immune system. And then, of course, we want to just make sure that we're supporting your motility in the meantime to prevent any overgrowth that could happen. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love Espilardi, um, post food poisoning or, you know, during or post antibiotics as well. Cause that kind of, you know, that's also going to support your gut's immune response. It can also help improve motility, um, and also help kind of like, you know, improve dysbiosis in general. And yeah, in terms of like motility too, it's, you know, there are ways that you can kind of determine if you have sluggish motility and if that's an issue. There's, of course, like the kind of like obvious, which is, are you having a bowel movement on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. um, does your, when you have your bowel movement though, like there are more, there's more to like, does it feel complete? Like, are you straining at all? Like, um, you know, that those are also good signs. Or when you go, is it just like little pebbles? You know, is, <laughs> is it not really that satisfying? Those are some good signs that maybe motility is an issue. Um, there are also other tests that you can kind of do at home. Like there's like the sesame seed test, there's the beet test, 
which the corn test is basically involved like eating one of these foods and just waiting until you see it pop out on the other side. Um, and you know, that can also kind of help give you some more insight as well into motility for you and, and how that's happening. And then, you know, if you find also that like you're like, you're getting really bloated between meals and it's just like, kind of like staying there and feeling stagnant, almost like your meal is just like sitting in your stomach for hours and hours and hours after that's likely a sign that motility is a problem for you that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And if it's sitting in the stomach, that's a big gastroparesis issue potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, and the ileocecal valve is another one I forgot to mention in regards to SIBO causes, but that's in between, um, your small and large intestine. So that can occur. And then you mentioned chronic stress. That's a big one under eating, unfortunately. So we see this with um, eating disorders as well that can develop SIBO. And then big one, I forgot to mention too. So sorry, guys. Mold toxicity and heavy metals. That can cause both SIBO and candida because it suppresses your immune system, suppresses your motility, suppresses your pancreatic enzymes, bile acids, all that allows those bacteria to overflourish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I see. I mean, I see mold a lot with candida, especially um, you know, just due to overall fungal overgrowth, but yeah, I'd say also just like on the top of, of gastroparesis, all of these sort of like, you know, popular weight loss medications, like, you know, Ozempic, Wegovi are huge risk factors for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So something to keep in mind with those as well. Unfortunately, I, I sadly think we are going to see a flux of SIBO clients because of this. Yeah, because it Mm -hmm. slows your gastric emptying, the GLP-1. So unfortunately, I think that does elevate people's risk of of contracting, of getting SIBO, now that you contract it like a disease. Yeah, yeah. So again, if you're on these medications and you're already starting to have digestive issues, I would definitely be proactive about it because the longer it goes on, the more likely you are to develop these sort of conditions. And, you know, once you start having SIBO and once you kind of like go down that rabbit hole, it can be really difficult to break that cycle. So the earlier you address these symptoms, the better. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Now, when we're talking about treatment, right, we want to potentially try and test first. We want to figure out which demon is going on, right? So we're going to try and test. We're going to use your symptoms, your diet, your lifestyle, your history. Anya and I are very, very... (laughs) A little bit OCD about this, like getting into the nitty gritties on why you are the way that you are in the words of Michael Scott from the office, but that's what we do. (laughs) And then we treat accordingly to what we think is going on. We don't treat the test. We treat the person based on your own symptoms, history, struggles, you name it. Now, for both conditions, sometimes you can use antifungals for candida. Sometimes you can use antibiotics for SIBO. Either way, there also are herbal treatments that you could do for either. However, based on your own situation and which one is present, you have to use different herbals for different bacteria or yeast. Because for example, garlic, oregano, they're both good for herb, um, for SIBO or candida, but candida typically requires a more comprehensive approach for focusing more on fungus and biofilm than SIBO because SIBO is more bacterial. Candida is more fungal. Absolutely. I'd say, you know, both require a holistic approach because for both like the lifestyle aspect, the diet aspect, all the supplement support, they're all equally, um, important. Um, you know, what I'd say too, is that, 
like, you know, I feel this way and, and I know Lacey, you agree with me on this. We're not anti-Western medication or, you know, conventional um, approach when they're, when it's the right fit. So, you know, for some people, for candida, um, certain like, you know, antifungal prescriptions like diflucan um, or nystatin can be a really good, um, a really good fit. Whereas with SIBO, um, like you mentioned, some antibiotics like rifaximin, for example, is very popular and it's really good for hydrogen dominant SIBO because it, it stays local to the small intestine. So it doesn't have a systemic effect. Meanwhile, you know, methane is, is more stubborn and sometimes requires something like neomycin, which is a very, very strong antibiotic. It does have a systemic effect and it does have some negative side effects, but for very specific cases, it might be a good fit. And all that means is that if you choose to go that route, you have to support your body as a whole while you're on it. Mm, yeah, it's very important to recognize that Anya and I are both our functional medicine holistic dietitians, but we also don't demonize the use of medications too, because sometimes it is way cheaper and way easier to slap nystatin on candida than it is to go down the route of herbals. And I do want to mention, um, dietary treatment for either is definitely different, right? So with candida, it's honestly pretty easy. I hate to say that candida is pretty easy, no fermented foods, yeast containing foods, you know? Um, and then sometimes we have to adapt to the total carbohydrates or the type of carbohydrates, like reducing the simple, but overall that's so much easier than the, you know, FODMAPs and lowering the roughage and the gas producing foods that you got to change with SIBO. Anya, what do you think is easier, SIBO or candida for diet? Oh, candida without a doubt. I agree. Um, I will say like with candida, like the, the things that I really pinpoint for people are like nothing with added sugar, no um, wine or beer, preferably like avoid alcohol in general while mm -hmm. we're treating um, and try and just like, you know, if you are eating a higher carbohydrate diet, you might want to at least temporarily just like lower the ratio of carbohydrates to fat. You don't need to go completely low carb. You don't need to cut out all carbohydrates, but you might want to replace some with some fat just because, you know, and candida, it feeds on, on sugar and carbohydrates in the body. They become sugar, no matter if it's from a lollipop or, you know, a sweet potato. So it's just something to keep in mind. Um, whereas yeah, SIBO is, is super confusing. Um, <laughs> I also find that like People can be very, very individual with this. And it's it's counterintuitive because it's like, wait, you're telling me not to eat these healthy foods, this like big delicious salad that I love to eat. You're telling me that this is problematic for me. And that's very hard, I think, for people to wrap their head around, um, you know, but we also want to find this sort of balance where, you know, we are managing your symptoms because let's also say that like diet alone does not cure SIBO. It does not. So this is more symptom management. We're managing your symptoms, but we're not, you know, restricting the diet too much because that can have other negative consequences. So it's a really delicate balance. Definitely something you shouldn't be figuring out yourself. You should work alongside, you know, a registered dietitian who specializes in this um, in order to figure that out and, and do some, you know, collaborative meal planning and nutrition education around this for you. Yes, completely. Because the last thing too with SIBO that you want to do is not have enough like not feed your bacteria. If you go completely low FODMAP and you're not feeding them enough, you can't actually kill them off. And then of course with SIBO, you have that elevated risk of 
nutrient deficiencies, especially with your B vitamins, your B12, your zinc, your vitamin D, your iron. And if you have those nutrient deficiencies, guess what? You're not going to heal because you need your nutrients to create your pancreatic enzymes, your stomach acid, your bile acid, your hormones. And if there's an issue there, you're not going to heal. So definitely big fan, of course, of always having somebody there to walk you through the dietary changes that you should make too, and also to customize it for you based on your own symptoms. Absolutely. And again, I, I know I said this, I'm going to emphasize it one more time. Like diet alone does not cure SIBO um, <laughs> because I feel like a lot of people think that it does. And, you know, a lot of like doctors maybe suggest like, oh, go on a low FODMAP diet. That's not going to cure SIBO. It might manage your symptoms. And if anything, during treatment, it could be contraindicated and it could make your treatment less effective. Yeah. Awesome. This was so fun. I hope you guys have a better understanding between the symptoms and the causes and a little bit of the treatment when it comes down to SIBO versus Candida. Because I know Anya and I have both worked with like hundreds, probably thousands of men and women at this point in regards to helping them heal their gut. And we've really found that it's very much person by person when it comes down to both symptoms and treatment. Absolutely. So yeah, definitely don't try and treat yourself with this. Outsource it. That's the best way to, to recover and also keep this into remission because both SIBO and Candida have a high rate of relapse. So it's important to treat it for good. Yes. And the key thing is figure out what the root cause is. Typically, and that's not what the root cause is. It's what are the root causes, meaning there are typically more than one root causes of your GI issue. So make sure that you are doing that. You're doing your diligence to find those because you cannot heal in the same environment that you got sick in. Absolutely. And if you need help doing that detective work, both Lacey and I are here to do that for you. And again, it's really hard to figure it out yourself. It's good to have a third party come in and just analyze everything and, and come up with your battle plan. Ooh, we are good detectives and battlers. I need my sword out. That's what I need. <laughs> oh, you don't keep yours in your pocket at all times? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's in my parents' shrine that they have in a closet. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. I know. I need to get it back. Okay. You guys, thank you so much for your time today. Anya, thank you so much for your expertise as well. And then you guys, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Bye.